Let's pray. Father God, we come before you and we thank you, Lord Jesus, so much for this day. And Father, we ask that the presence of your Holy Spirit would be felt in this place this morning. And Father, in this chapter that we're, we're going through and studying together as a church is, is about Jesus and is about the power of the cross and the resurrection. It's about the idea, Father, that we, we can't do ministry apart from you or of our own um, cunning devices and of our own craftiness, that Jesus, we just need to get out of the way and allow the Holy Spirit to change lives. And so, Father, we, we pray for a healthy balance here, God, of teaching the Word and uh, of meeting everybody where they are, Lord, and, and seeing lives change for the gospel of Jesus Christ. I pray, Father, that, that as your Spirit moves upon the hearts that are in this room, that, that each one would know that they're loved supremely by you, God. And, Father, that you care about every part of their lives and, and what they're going through, that you even tell us in the Bible that you count the number of hairs on our head, and that's just a detail to let us know that you, you meticulously love us and care about every detail of our lives. And so, Jesus, we welcome you. We ask that the Holy Spirit would minister to hearts and lives. In Jesus' name, and everyone said, Amen. Amen. Good morning. You may be seated. Everybody stood through all of worship, but I think we missed the, like, you may be seated part, and everybody just stood. I kind of like it. I like to stand during worship, so it's kind of cool. You know, you're welcome to stand or sit as we worship, however you like. Hey, a couple announcements um, before we get started this morning. We're in um, 1 Corinthians. Uh, you can stand there while, while we give these announcements. You guys, help me welcome Christian. Christian's going to come up. Uh, Christian is overseeing a ministry called Celebrate Recovery, and it's, uh, I'll let him tell you about it. Yeah. Hey, whoa, hello, that's loud. <laughs> Hi, I'm Christian. I'm a grateful believer who struggles with alcohol and just about everything else man throws my way. I'd like to praise God for all that he's done and everything that he's doing in my life. I'd like to, uh, like to thank my amazing wife, Amy, who's not with me right now. She's unfortunately working. Pastor Chris for supporting this ministry. I'll get that. All right. If I turn it the other way, I could probably get the rest of them. Let me see. Yeah. There we go. Woo! The score, you win. Sorry, <laughs> Well, with that, I guess let me start off with a little bit of a joke since Pastor Chris isn't the only funny one around here. <laughs> He, that was the joke. Brian didn't think that was very funny because he's got to oh. figure all this out. Oh, no. Oh. Uh. That was the joke. Just kidding. So, as the storm raged, the captain realized the ship was sinking fast. He called out, anyone here know how to pray? One man stepped for forward. Aye, captain. I know how to pray. Good, said the captain. You pray while the rest of us put on our life jackets. We're one short. <laughs> and this is sometimes how we feel. That we're up Life Creek without a life jacket. And that's where Celebrate Recovery comes in to throw you a life jacket. Celebrate Recovery is a Christ-based recovery program that we see as a need in this community. The wonderful thing is that it is a Christ-based recovery program. It's not based on man's ideas, but on God's word. Everyone struggles with some area of their life. There are two types of people in life. Those who need recovery and know it, and those that don't know it. Celebrate Recovery assists in all aspects of your life with what we call hurts, habits, and hang-ups. And if you come, you'll find out what we mean by that. It's really anything that's preventing you from living a life the way that God has intended. Anything from, from, from preventing you from living a life you love. We're all in need of recovery because of a thing called sin. We 
Before God's grace, my life was a mess. Now, all by the grace of God, I'm living a life that I love. All praise to God. When I started Celebrate Recovery and getting into ministry, I didn't really think about what God wanted in a body of believers and how he wanted us to be united in Christ and interact with each other. All I thought about was spreading the gospel, not backing down, and getting as many people to Christ as possible. I didn't think about what the Bible said about being a body, living together as a family, and being an extension of one another. That through God's way, if a brother or sister is hurting, such as a finger, an arm, or the burdens that Pastor Chris faces. There we go. Oh, and ninja me like that. That it should hurt me too. Any pain or sickness or any joy, we should be celebrating that together. To feel that sense together, to not ditch any part of the body. And when we're sick, to do anything that we can to bring restoration to our bodies, to each other in celebrating recovery. We will be meeting here Friday nights at 630 uh, we're currently doing a step study. I would love to have everybody join. I'm going to leave you with a question. Are you taking your next step with Jesus or towards Jesus? What's your next step? Thank you. Love you all. God bless. Amen. Amen. Thank you, Christian. Hey, guys, Christian's going to be available um, in the foyer after this service. So, um, as soon as we start, Christian, if you just set up out there, if you on the way out, if you have any questions about his ministry, their ministry, then um, you can stop and, and ask Christian. Um, I believe everybody's welcome to come regardless where you are in life. Um, you know, it, it is specifically, you know, celebrate recovery and a recovery ministry. Um, the other nice thing is that it's it's non-denominational or it's 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 hosted in our church and Christian happens to come to our church, but it's not done through us or through Calvary Chapel. This is basically their thing that we're just letting them use our building so no matter what church you come to no matter what church um, your friends or people you know are a part of this is all different churches that are coming together um, to do this and so um, if you have anybody if you know anybody that um, is has need of, of of that kind of ministry invite them friday nights at six thirty. is it every friday you guys take take okay so every friday night right here at six thirty. And, and again, everybody's welcome. If you're just a believer, maybe you're not even in that issue and you want to just come and check it out and be a part of it. Maybe God's called you to come and serve in that ministry and be a part. Come and just start attending and, and be a part of the studies and then see if God maybe has a, you know, a, a leadership position for you in that, in that ministry if it's something you feel called to do. Amen? So it's a great need. And then also just with that, I, I want to highlight right now since we're talking about it, but the church here, um, we have a, an extension arm for... Um, for a recovery program in Southern California. It's located in Palm Springs, California. It's called NCIC, New Creations in Christ. is a men's discipleship drug and alcohol rehab program. And, and that's a um, kind of more severe type cases. But again, if you know somebody in your circle, in your life, in your family that has need of, of a facility to go to, it's a, I think it's a three-month program in phase one. And then they go on beyond that, and you could stay longer. It's free is the nice part. It's totally free. So, and it is, it is for men. Um, we do have some options for women, but not as relevant. The one for women is in Colorado. But again, for men, if you have anybody, you just know through your church family, we have a way and a place to send you. Oftentimes, the church here, we've done it multiple times, will support the folks that are going down. Oftentimes, they don't have the money to even get there. We'll buy them plane tickets. We'll make sure they get there. Um, the, the pastor who oversees that ministry is... Uh, one of my best friends, and so, you know, he's a, he's a text or a phone call away. I'm constantly calling and checking in on our people that are from here. 
And so we've, we've, uh, we've had some good success stories through that ministry, NCIC. Monty's been here. You might have met him. But anyways, keep those things in prayer. Amen? And then I got some bad news. Raise your hand if you're going to Israel with me, if you're here. Okay, we've got a couple. couple. Okay, put your hand down because you're not going to Israel anymore. <laughs> I am so sorry. But we uh, just got the call this week, and we've been monitoring it very closely. The good news for us is we were February of 2021. And they had closed um, Israel through January. And so when I talked to them a month ago, they had canceled a bunch of trips, but ours were still good. We were golden, and we're sure by the time we get closer to that, um, that, that they'll open back up because they were close to opening up at the time. And instead, they went the other direction. So now they've, uh, they've closed through February, and I'm not sure how far beyond that. We have another option in November of 2021. So if you want to be a part of, if you still want to go to Israel, I'll keep you apprised. We really won't know anything. It's probably going to take a while. to. Um, and basically, we're just waiting on Israel to decide what they want to do and uh, when they're going to open up and close the country and that kind of thing. Amen? All right, next question. How many of you guys have um, been water baptized? Raise your hand. Okay, put your hands down. How many of you guys have not been water baptized? Put you on the spot. Okay, well, i got a solution for you. Wednesday, we're doing water baptisms. So, um, again, no pressure, but just an opportunity. And it has to be something that God's called you to and that, that you're ready for. You can't get baptized until you're a believer in Jesus Christ. So once you're saved, you're a believer in Jesus Christ. The next natural step is to be baptized. So we encourage everybody to be obedient. Jesus set the example for us in baptism. But we want to make it a fun night, too. So we want to invite the entire church family. So everybody raise your hand because you guys are the ones that are invited. Okay, put your hands down. Bring the kids. Um, bring your neighbors. It's free. We have the whole pool to ourselves. And we're going to use, the first time we've done this, we'll try it. We'll see how it goes. Hopefully it goes well. It should be a lot of fun. But the outdoor pool at Deseret um, Peak, you guys familiar with that? Okay. So Wednesday at 6 o'clock, the youth group will also be joining us. So um, if you're here and you're in junior or senior high, don't come here next Wednesday. Just head out to the Deseret Pool. Um, we'll do the baptisms right in the beginning, uh, right at 6 o'clock. And then we have the pool till 9 o'clock just to fellowship, hang out, swim. Um, hopefully, we, last Wednesday it was raining and stormy, but it's been warm and been hot. So praying for a hot day uh, next Wednesday. But again, no matter where you are, no matter what, whether you're going to get baptized or just want to come hang out or you want to swim or not, you know, just come and hang out. Come and be a part of it. Come and support those who are being baptized. But it was just a fun way to get together, um, kind of a creative way to be. We're outdoors, so it's safe. We're encouraging maybe those that are still not comfortable in the gathering to, to be able to come because it's outdoors and we can social distance and all those things. So um, everybody's invited. Next Wednesday, 6 o'clock. Amen? What else can I say to encourage you guys to come? All right, I said enough. Uh, free food? Okay, Rick's, Rick's bringing free food. Sure. All right. What are we having? Filet mignons? All right. Yeah, again, and then um, again, as uh, maybe some of you hopefully know by now, um, but youth group is back regularly on Wednesday night. So we're encouraging you guys, if you have children, if you are here in your youth, grade, youth group age, um, 7th through 12th grade, Wednesday nights at 7 o'clock, Josh and Amber, you guys have been meeting, Josh and Amber um, are here from California, from CDI, and um, they're, they're overseeing that. So we'd love to see you guys, kids, junior high and high school on Wednesday nights. Amen? All right, so if you guys have your Bibles, open them up already for um, 1 Corinthians chapter 2. 
So where we left off last week, let's look at chapter 1, verse 18. This is a verse I want you guys to be very familiar with um, in the Word of God and, and very kind of, uh, I think, fitting for where we live and, and understanding the, the power of the cross. But Paul said in chapter 1 and verse 18, For the message of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing. But to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. One more time. For the message of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing, but to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. So Paul continues on that theme here in chapter 2, that the, that the cross and the power is in the cross. Now when Paul just left, um, well, before he got to Corinthians, he was in Acts chapter 17. And remember I told you the book of Acts, it just follows Paul's life through his missionary journeys. So here we're in Corinth and... Um, so you just you see where we are and where it corresponds to the book of Acts, which would be in Acts 17 and 18 is where Paul was when he started this church and when he got there, um, primarily 18. But at the end of 17, he was in a place called Athens, Greece, in a very famous place called Mars Hill at the Parthenon. Still there. It's a big tourist attraction today if you ever have a chance to go to Greece. And, and you'll see the place where Paul preached. And Paul preached there on Mars Hill one of his most famous sermons. There's a lot of, um, there's actually a church, a big church that's named after this place. They call themselves Mars Hill Church. And, and in this particular church in Mars Hill, Paul was speaking to Epicurean philosophers of his day in Greek. And they would sit and they would gather there and they would talk about all of these, you know, lofty things and ideas and new ideas and new knowledge. And so Paul shows up there in Athens with all these learned people on Mars Hill. And Paul's going to try to be relevant to them and to reach them. Hey, hold your finger here. I want us to check it out because it just fits where we are. Let's look at um, Acts chapter 17 um, just for a minute in verse number 22. So the idea was, listen, we have this same, um, I saw you guys looking down your Bibles. That's good. But uh, once you find Acts 17, look at me for a minute. We, we have this same struggle here in our world today. Okay, same struggle I have as a pastor is, you know, we, we want to reach the culture. And one of the things that we, we do, you know, when the pastors gather in church conferences and different things, we, we talk about being relevant to the culture. And the other thing that you guys have to understand is that when, when we do this style of teaching, which is funny because this style of teaching is actually the, the, the least um, in, in all your modalities. Your modalities are the ways you learn through seeing, touching, hearing, um, doing different exercises. They're called modalities. Hearing is, is the, the way you, you retain the least information and that's what we do every week so we try to be creative and and do some things with that but um so as as we 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 meet in these conferences and we talk about how do we reach folks where they are this this idea of being relevant comes up and it's it's back and forth you know you can be try to be relevant to your culture but if you become too much like your culture you take the teeth or the sting out and and if you don't if you don't meet your culture where they are then then some things go over their head you know it's like we, we're, we're teaching through the Bible, and uh, Jericho is 11.5 miles from Jerusalem. And, you know, you get somebody that comes, a new believer, and they could care less at Jericho. They don't know what Jericho and Jerusalem is. And, and, and that stuff just goes over their head as, as you preach. And, and when we preach in an audience with the modality that we use, it's oftentimes it's, it's very challenging because if we're just being honest, right, you know, let me, let me ask you this. How many of you guys have been walking with um, Christ for more than 20 years? Okay, more than 10. I'm sorry, it's the other, yeah. other way. Less than 10. Less than 5? Okay, 
Anybody less than a year? Okay. So, um, you know, we have different walks of life and different understandings. And, and so trying to teach the same message to a, to a larger group is, so you want to try to hit all the groups, right? If we were teaching math, it would be impossible. Because if we had seniors in high school and we had kindergartners in the same math class, if I taught one plus one, the seniors would be, be going crazy. And if I taught algebra, then the, the, the um, kindergartners would be pulling their hair out. And, and, and so trying to find something that's relevant to all. Well, anyways, in the same struggle, Paul gets here to Mars Hill. And he makes a decision that he's going to kind of flip the script for the first time. And he's going to do something that maybe is more relevant to the culture that he's in. Let's check it out what he did. In chapter 22... Uh, I'm sorry, in 1722 of Acts, Paul says, Then Paul stood in the midst of the Areopagus, Areopagus and said, Men of Athens, I perceive that in all things you are very religious. So he's flattering them a little bit. And then he says, For as I was passing through and considering the objects of your worship, I even found an altar with this inscription, To the unknown God. So there in the Areopagus, there was all of these inscriptions to all these different deities and gods that were worshipped. But just in case they missed one, they had, a, they had an altar to the unknown God. And so Paul notices that he's looking at all the different gods of, uh, of the Roman culture and Greek culture that would have been there and that were being honored. And he sees this inscription to the unknown God. And he says, he, he kind of writes this sermon through this. And he says, that's the one I want to talk to you about, this unknown God. He says, therefore, the one whom you worship without knowing, him I proclaim to you. God who made the world and everything in it, since he is Lord of heaven and earth, does not dwell in temples made with hands, nor is he worshipped with men's hands, as though he need anything, since he gives to all life, breath, and all things. And he has made from one blood every nation of men to dwell on the face of the earth, and has determined their pre-appointed times and the boundaries of their dwellings, so that they should seek the Lord in the hopes that they might grope for him and find him, though he is not far from each one of us. For in him, this is a good scripture, we live, we move, and we have our being. And also some of your own poets have said, and again, he's appealing to their um, knowledge and their, their people and, and being trying to be relevant to this group. For we are also his offspring, capital H. Therefore, since we are the offspring of God, we ought not to think the divine nature of is like gold or silver or stone or something shaped by art and men's devising. Truly, these times of ignorance God overlooked, but now commands all men everywhere to repent. It's a good part of the message, repentance, because he has appointed a day on which he will judge the world in righteousness by man whom he has ordained and given assurance of this to all by raising him from the dead. And when they heard of the resurrection of the dead, some mocked while others said, we will hear you again on this matter. And Paul departed from among them. However, some men joined him and believed among them Dionysus, the Areagapite. No, not even close, right? Areagite, Areagapite. And a woman named Demarius and others with him. So um, the, the problem here is that Paul doesn't mention the simple gospel, the death, life, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. He's trying to be relevant to this culture, but as soon as he hits the one point that's really valid in his message is the resurrection of Jesus Christ, the crowd disperses and they won't hear him anymore because it makes no sense to them. There's no fruit from this. You know, in some college classes they, and seminaries and theology 
places, they, they take this sermon and they say this is the standard of preaching. But it's totally wrong. Because this, this particular approach that Paul took, no church was born here in Athens. No real fruit happened from it. Sure, a couple of people believed, but there was really nothing. And as soon as he came to something that was counterculture to where they were, they wrote him off and, and just were done with it. There was a few that said, oh, because they just were nice and, you know, liked to talk but didn't want to change. Oh, we'll hear you later in this matter. A few believe, but the result of this, this preaching was it wasn't relevant. It didn't reach. And, and then we get, so Paul leaves this place right here, Acts 17. And then when you get to Acts 18, how many of you guys have those titles on top of your chapters there? What does it say above chapter 18? What? Ministering at Corinth. So he's going to leave this experience on Mars Hill with the Epicurean philosophers, and he's going to head to Corinth. And that's where where it takes us to. Now back to Corinthians. So we get to Corinthians chapter 2, and Paul has decided that's not what he wants to do anymore. He doesn't want to be relevant and try to reach people where they are that's not relevant anyways, and people aren't going to understand. But he's going to appeal to one thing, and Paul's going to determine. Look at what he says um, in verse 1. He says, And brethren, when I came to you, did did not come with excellence of speech or wisdom, declaring to you the testimony of God. For I determined not to know anything among you except Jesus Christ and Him crucified. Again, verse number 2. This is a memory verse for you Bible students. This is one of these verses that you should know in your heart. Listen. For I determined not to know anything among you except Jesus Christ and Him crucified. Now, So Paul is going to come, and really all he's going to do in this epistle, in these letters, is he's going to stick to the preaching of the cross, to the death, the resurrection, the life of the cross. And some people say, well, would that leave out? And what about the practicality of people who are going through hardship or struggling with addiction or these kind of things? And as you go through the list of the different things, divorce and hardships and addictions and um, depression and all the things that you might face in this life, what you'll find is that the cross is the answer to every one of them. The death and resurrection of Jesus Christ is the power of God to change your life. And Paul understands that he can flirt with all of these cute little ways to try to communicate the gospel and to try to get people saved, and we do that. Churches do that all over the world. You know, they have circuses and, you know, dancing little people in the the sanctuary when you come in to entertain you and all of these different weird things that we do you know, movie sets on stage. And I've been at churches where um, it was Jurassic Park and literally there was a Jurassic Park Jeep and dinosaurs, life, not life-size, but those blow-up-sized dinosaurs and all this stuff going on on the stage to, to communicate a message of God's Word. Now, maybe that will reach some folks and great, and they had the money to do it. That church is in Vegas, by the way, a big, huge church. You'll see it off the freeway when you're in Vegas. And you're, anyways, um, and other churches have done the same thing, you know, and, and, and God bless them. But, but Paul says that, you know, when we, when we try to reach the culture that way, that, you know, those same things that we have to do, listen, to, to get them to come, you'll have to continue those to entertain them. And so Paul has decided here, and what Corinthians chapter 2 is about, the message is simple, is Paul says, for me, we're going to stick to the message of the cross. We're going to stick to the power of the cross. Now, um, let me... Let me just talk a little bit about something here in this little um, section just while we're on it. Kind of a side note, parenthetically. Listen, 
Um, when we preach, we don't want to rely on our own excellence, on my own wisdom, my own knowledge. You know, everything that I get up to preach and communicate God's word to you, it's really, I try to keep it simple. I'm a pretty simple guy. I'm not an intellectual type. But I ask God, God, help me show him Jesus. Help me show him Jesus. Help me show him Jesus. And everything that we do in our preaching and teaching is to try to, to get you guys to see the heart and, and the, the love of God for your life, the love of Jesus over your life and the care of Jesus. And, and Paul here, as he's talking about focusing on preaching the gospel, as we get to verses 4 and 5, we'll re- 4, 5, and 6, we'll read them in a minute. He, he says that, that there is, the word preach here is um, kerugma is the Greek word. And it's the root word like in Timothy, in 1 Timothy, when he says preach the gospel. That's a, kind of a different kind of preaching. This kerugma here that Paul is talking about preach in verse number 4 is just simply to proclaim truth simply. Just truth proclaiming. But, but listen, again, parenthetically in this chapter, I want to tell you that biblically, there, there's a need to teach the word um, at, a, at a higher level. Because once people, so the kerugma or the preach here is to get people saved. You know, in some places you go and they're, they're, they're very evangelistic and their vision is to see people who are not Christians become Christians. And, and the preaching is, is all geared towards that, which is, which is outstanding. And, and we need that. But the problem is, if you do get saved, and now you've been in church for a year, and Sunday after Sunday after Sunday, I, I'm giving another message of how you get saved, how you get saved, how you get saved, how you get saved. You're like, dude, I did that a year ago. Now what? You know, some pastors, some good friends of mine will argue that that, that there, that's, and, and you know what? I think God has different places and different calls. We talked about this last week, the variances in churches and in ministries and the flavors that God allows to reach people where they are. And some of those churches that, that their emphasis is highly evangelistic, tons of people are getting saved. And then what's happening is the churches around them that are, that are more discipling and teaching, they're growing because after the people are getting saved, then they're going into Bible teaching and discipling churches. But Paul does say here that, yes, there's this, this very um, need of preaching a simple gospel. But once folks are saved, there's a need to see folks grow in Jesus and the way we grow in our faith, and the way we grow to what? What's the vision? The goal is to grow into maturity, right? You know, when I first became a Christian, I was surrounded by a group of people. And God gave, and I don't know if this verse is relevant today, this prophecy for me is relevant today, but it was in that moment. And, and God gave me a prophecy, a word of wisdom, and He said to me that I'm going to give you an understanding that surpasses that of your elders. I'm like 20 years old, I'm a brand new Christian, God speaks so clearly to me. I'm going to give you an understanding that surpasses that of your elders. And I'm like, yeah, that's, that's, I'm going to be the smartest guy in the room, God told me. That's not the case, and I'm never the smartest guy in the room, not by far. But, but what, what happened in the fulfillment of that particular prophecy is that I was surrounded by a group of people that loved me, and because of them, I'm a Christian today. I'd never say anything never. I mean, I love, love, love these people with all my heart and soul. I'm, they're, they're the reason I walk with Jesus today. And, they, and they'd been Christian for a long, long time, but they'd never been involved in, in, in a Bible-teaching church and really a diet of reading and studying the Word of God. And they were still really involved in that nonsense that takes place on TBN and some of these channels with this, you know, happy, healthy, wealthy preaching. You know, that God's plan for your life is to be happy, healthy, and wealthy. And, you know, I got a Cadillac, and if you, can't, you don't have enough faith for your own Cadillac, then come give me your money, and I'll have two Cadillacs, you know, like, because I got enough faith to drive a Cadillac. And... You know, that kind of preaching. And, and as I began to study and read and know the Word of God, very quickly the, this group, I, that they weren't growing in Christ. 
that, that, that they were still falling for every wind of doctrine because they never made a commitment, even though they loved Jesus and were doing an amazing job at evangelizing and are wonderful people and sharing the gospel and seeing people get saved, which is a much needed thing. But what Paul's saying here in this chapter is, yes, that's what we need to do and that's necessary. But don't leave it alone or don't leave it at that. Then after people get saved, there's a much needed um, next step of bringing people to maturity. Amen? Okay. And here's what, we're, what we find here at Calvary Chapel, because we're kind of that next step church. I think Calvary does an okay job at evangelism. And what happens is as you just simply teach the word of God, we've been teaching through the book of Numbers or Leviticus. And if you know anything about Numbers or Leviticus, it's dry, it's difficult. And we've been teaching through Leviticus and Numbers chapter by chapter, verse by verse, and people get saved. One of the pastors at our last conference said he was teaching through Ezekiel, and he was just in a section that was, and, and he was committed to chapter by chapter, verse by verse, but he was in a section that just was really a lot of laborious, and so, and they were in a hurry, and he said, they came in that night, and he said, I didn't hardly comment, it was like three chapters, I basically read three chapters of Ezekiel, I gave an altar call, and somebody came up to ask Jesus to never get saved. So, I mean, the Word of God changes lives, and oftentimes, it's not our preaching anyways, the Holy Spirit was already working on somebody's heart before they got here, and they just needed an opportunity to ask Jesus in their life, and then they came up. But, but so the word of God does that. And again, I don't, I think Calvary Chapel does an okay job, but I think where Calvary Chapel in our church, kind of where we emphasize is that middle ground where now, now we want to, we want to build maturity and mature believers. And here's what happens. Pastor Chuck's thing was for Calvary Chapel. He said, healthy sheep begat healthy what? Sheep. Healthy sheep begat what? Healthy sheep. So as, as we focus on you guys becoming healthy Christians, you're, you're going you're gonna to share the gospel with your neighbors. You're going to share the gospel with your family. You're going to evangelize. And you guys now are doing the evangelism. I'm doing the teaching, the equipping. And when you come in every week, my job is to equip you for the Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday week that's ahead of you so that as you go out, you can defend your faith. So as you go out, you can, you can share the gospel. Amen? All right. Um, you know, the early church, they used a a practice that was known as the didache, which is, you know, making mature believers, as we call it today, making disciples. And again, healthy believers are going to um, make healthy believers. And so um, I have notes. I never preach with notes, ever. That's a bad thing. It means I'm going to talk a lot. All right, so hey, let's, let's pick it back up. Verse number two, we just read, right? For I determined not to know anything among you except for Jesus Christ and him crucified. Now, Paul's not just going to make this statement. He just left Mars Hills. Don't forget, he didn't have the greatest experience there. He's decided as he got to the, the church at Corinth, he's going to take a different approach to ministry. He's going to focus on the simple preaching of the word of God. And now he's going to take the rest of the chapter and he's going to unpack it for us. He's going to explain how that works. And he says, I was with you in weakness and in fear, and in much trembling. Do you guys know what um, the, the number one fear that humans have in life? Number one. Anybody take a wild guess what the number one fear is? I heard them both. Somebody said death. Number one fear of humans is fear of dying. Number two, public speaking. Jerry Seinfeld said, uh, speaking of this statistic one and two, he said, so just know when you're at a funeral and if you have to get up and get, give the eulogy, nine out of ten people in the audience would rather be in the coffin than standing behind the pulpit. You know, because this is the, this is, um, and, and Paul, which is interesting to me who he was, that he admits here 
that, that he had a weakness in public speaking, that he had a weakness in presenting the gospel and being in front of people. You know, Moses, when Moses, when God called Moses to speak publicly, what did Moses say? He said, no. He just flat said, no. He said, I'm not doing it. I can't go. He, first of all, he said, I stutter. So Moses had a stutter that we don't know. He writes, he writes the Torah, right? Moses writes the first five books of the Bible. What did Moses say? Tell God. He said, no, take Aaron. Take, take my brother Aaron. Let, use him. And God actually conceded to Moses in this, in this argument that they were having. And God said, Moses, I'm still going to take you, and I'm still going to use you. You're still the one called, but I'm going to give you this. I'm going to let Aaron come alongside you and be your companion, your helpmate. And that's exactly what happened. And eventually, I'm sure God took that stutter from Moses, and God opened his mouth, and God began to use him. Because it was God, the, was God the one that was going to have the glory and the power. And, and God took, again, and God, we, we studied last week, right? God takes the foolish things of the world to confound the wise. And Moses, who's going to be this leader of millions of people in the wilderness, he's going to have to go and speak before the most powerful person in the world, Pharaoh. He can't even talk right. He's scared. He's afraid to speak in public. And God says, that's the guy I want. That's the guy I can use because when I use him, I'm going to receive the glory. And so God famously raises Moses up like he does you and I. And, and, and when God does it, you know, the thing you have to understand too, especially about preaching and teaching, is that it's not about you. You know, part of, part of my fear of public speaking was always I wanted everybody to like me. You know, it's still a problem I have today. I want everybody to like me. I should go sell ice cream because that's the only way everybody's going to like me. You know, and, and, and I just had to get to the point where it wasn't about me. You know, it's just, it's not, it has nothing to do with you. It's about God. It's about proclaiming the gospel. Just get up, try to get out of the way, and allow the Holy Spirit to speak. And if I can do that, God can show up and, and teach the word. There was a young pastor who, who took a new church. And the young pastor was getting ready to preach his first sermon in front of the crowd. And he comes walking down the aisle, and he's strutting his stuff. You know, he's got his chest picked, put, pushed out, and he's holding his papers, and struts up on the stage, and displays all of his stuff, and getting ready to preach and his notes fall off the fell off the pulpit and he goes to pick him up and he kicks the, the the pulpit over and he stumbles down the stairs and can't gather his papers together and finally he just can't get it together and he just puts all his stuff together and puts his head down and he walks down the same aisle he just walked up the elder in the back said had you walked in the way you walked out your sermon would have been great you know and so just getting out of the way and allowing god to to do the work and but paul here is um, again, admitting a weakness in, in preaching and teaching and doing what he did. You'd never expect that out of Paul, right? Hey, last week, you guys remember last week, out of Revelation chapter 12 and verse number 11, um, Jesus said, and they overcame him or Satan by what? How'd they overcome Satan? By the blood of the lamb and by the word of their testimony. I don't have a ruler, but I will smack you in the hand if I got to find my ruler. I thought, this was last week. Let's try that again. They overcame him by the blood of the lamb and by the word of the testimony. That never works. You guys never respond well to that. Whenever I threaten to browbeat you, you're like, I shouldn't do it anymore. But, hey, um, that was your memory verse last week. This week is, it's chapter 2, too, so work on that. But look, check it out. And they overcame him by the blood of the lamb and by the word of their testimony, and I love the, the qualifier in verse 11 of Revelation. And they did not love their lives even to the death. As a Christ follower, you, you can't love your life. You've given it away. It doesn't even belong to you anymore. You're, you're, you're a disciple. You're a bondservant. You're a slave to Jesus Christ. And even unto death. 
But that's the qualifier. But the verse says that they overcame Satan by the blood of the Lamb and by what? The word of their testimony. Now listen, this is what I just want to encourage you guys with. Whether you're an elegant speaker, whether you're comfortable speaking in front of people, whether you're better one-on-one, I want to encourage you guys with this. You all have a testimony. If Jesus has worked in your life, you don't have to be, as Paul is saying here, he struggled in these areas and being weak. You can tell people what God did in your life. You've given your life to Jesus and Jesus has made some changes in your life. You've experienced his love over your life, his deliverance, whatever it is. You always can share that. And you have the power of of being a preacher and sharing the gospel. I can make every one of you guys ordained ministers right now, okay? I'll make the sign of the cross. I'll say, Chuck, Chuck, Mindu. If I had some holy water, I would sprinkle it on you, but I don't, okay? How many of you guys can do this? A couple of you, okay. For those of you that can do this, I now made you a licensed, official, ordained minister of this church. If you can point people to Jesus, you can counsel, you can teach, you can preach, you can share the gospel. And all you have to do is be able just to point people to Jesus. When they come to you for advice, tell them the truth. Hey, I don't know much. I don't have the answers. I can't help you. But my God can help you. My Lord can help you. My Savior can help you. My, my, my Jesus can help you. And let me point you to Jesus. Amen? Amen. All right. So then as we go, um, as we go on, it says in verse number 3 or 4, and my speech and my preaching, that's that word that I told you guys, um, cargeo, which is the, the word of proclaiming, were not with persuasive words of human wisdom, but in demonstration of the Spirit and of power. Paul's going to mention the Spirit of God in this chapter so many times, and, and that the power of the preaching and the, and the persuasiveness comes from the Spirit of God. You know what I can't do, you guys? I can never manufacture change in your life and in your heart. I can, I, I can and have, and God is, by the power of God, God's given some pretty persuasive sermons that, that, that God has, that I've been able to preach over the years at certain times and in certain seasons, and they're rare and far between, but sometimes God's Spirit just does something amazing. But you know what? I can't manufacture a, a change with lofty words and persuasive speech and elegance and, you know, that that's something that every week we pray that has to be a genuine move of God's Holy Spirit in our church. It has to be a genuine move of God's Holy Spirit in your life. You know what I want to see every week? I want to see people get saved. I want to see lives change. I want to see people get delivered. I want to see people who love Jesus fall more in love with Jesus and His Word. I want to see your Sunday change your Monday. And and, and I can't manufacture that. But it's the power, it's the Spirit of God that works in your heart and life. You know, I did this, I taught this men's, men's, Stake and study was called at, at, at Joshua Springs. There's 330 men there. And I got up to speak. And before I, be, before I opened my Bible and before I began my message, I said, and it was kind of, it was bold, first of all. It could have been embarrassing, but I wasn't embarrassed because I knew God told me to do it. And whether it went well or bad, I didn't care. You know, and, and, and thankfully I was able to get to that point. And then I came up, and before I opened my Bible or did anything, 330 men staring at me, I said, is there anybody in here that wants to ask Jesus Christ in their heart to be their Lord and Savior? And everybody's looking at me with these blank stares. And I said, I think there's somebody here that came and, and, and God has already been speaking to your heart 
and, and you just need an opportunity to get your life right with Jesus, and Jesus has been calling you. If that's you and you're in this room, I'm going to ask you boldly to stand up in front of this room of, of this big crowd. Will you stand if you're here today? Looking around, everybody's looking at me. I'm like, all right, Lord, I, you told me, I think you told me to do that. And just about to give up, and one man in the middle of the crowd stands up. And the crowd starts clapping. And I told the pastors, I said, look, pastors, it's not about your preaching or your teaching. It's about the Spirit of God. John Corson, when, when their church was exploding, Applegate, in the early 90s, they, they were baptizing like 100 people a week in Oregon. And John swore, and I know it was true, he swore that he could do the baptisms and the altar call at the beginning of the service and the same amount of people would get up and get saved because the Spirit of God was already moving in their hearts and lives and it had nothing to do with his preaching. And he was a great preacher. He's, he's a, my favorite preacher on the planet. I mean, I don't, I don't say, I don't preach a sermon that I didn't first hear what John Corson had to say about it. And, 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 and he'd say people, and that's just the truth because it's the power of the Spirit of God that changes lives. Amen. Amen. It's the Word of God that changes lives. Faith comes by hearing, and hearing by the Word of God. That's why we want to put as much of the Word in you as we can. And then, um, I have a little note here that I'm contemplating. I'm going to skip it. Verse 6 says, However, we speak wisdom among those who are... Okay, when I pause, that's for you guys to fill in the blank one more time. However, we speak wisdom among those who are mature. Thank you very much. So listen, um, this is where I kind of already explained this. But Paul is saying, however, listen, we need to preach the gospel. It needs to be simple. It needs to be Christ-centered. It needs to be focused on the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. You guys know the shortest uh, explanation of what the gospel is in five words? Jesus died and rose again. That's the gospel. Jesus died and rose again. You preach that. You preach, you preach the gospel, and it'll preach. And so Paul spends the first five verses saying, hey, I just got back from Mars Hill, and I tried to be relevant, and I tried to be cool and fit in. I wore my skinny jeans that day, and, you know, I, whatever. I got some face tattoos so I could fit in, and it said, stay tired. And, um, and, 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 and it, you know what? That, 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 there was no fruit there. And I came to you guys, and I decided when I got here in Corinth that I was just going to preach the simple gospel of Jesus. And now listen, we get to verse 6, and he says, However, listen, there, it's necessary, and I've already explained it, however, we speak wisdom among those who are mature. So, so there's a need for next-level teaching and preaching and explaining. You know, we, we, we hear, we stay by the, by the Old Testament. Because the Old Testament... Is, is the power to change lives, and, 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 and it's all God's Word, old and new. There's a little trend going on right now with some popular, well-known pastors who are, who are saying that they want to unhitch from the Old Testament. I heard just this week one of my favorite pastors say some things that I wasn't so favorite about. And he said, oh, you know, I really appreciate you. You know, he was talking to pastors, uh, talking about David and Samson and and, and Mephibosheth, and he mentioned like seven different Old Testament characters. And he said, while I appreciate you, you know, talking about these guys, basically teaching Old Testament stuff, he said, and, and, and he said, but yet it's all about, but, I knew there was a but coming, but it's all about Jesus. Now, first he thought it was necessary to impress you, uh, me, with, in the sermon with how many Old Testament characters he knew. 
So it's like, it's like he understood there was an importance to knowing Old Testament stuff. So he brags of it, and he names drops all these names in the Old Testament. Then he goes on and says that, hey, but we don't need that because it's about Jesus. And, and I just want to tell him so bad. What you don't understand is that all those names you mentioned, David, and Mephibosheth, and Boaz, and Samson, those are all about Jesus. Every one of them is about Jesus. The entire Old Testament points to the cross. The entire New Testament points back to the cross. Two arrows that meet at the cross. And everything in the Old Testament is about Jesus. What did Jesus do on the road to Emmaus? He, he began to teach those guys. And it says, beginning where? At Moses, he opened the Bible to him and he expounded and showed him all the things that were concerning himself. That starting at Moses, Jesus walked through all those pages of the Old Testament himself. It was good for Jesus. It's good for me. It's good for our church. I think I need to communicate to this pastor that it was good enough for Jesus. That we don't need any hits from the Old Testament. And that if you would take David and Boaz and Mephibosheth and Samson and you would look at all those stories and you would show people Jesus in them, there's great value in the Old Testament. And there's great value through the entire Word of God. Amen? So Paul says in verse number, um, the second half of 6, Mature, yet not the wisdom of this age, nor the rulers of this age who are coming to nothing. So reiterating that we need to preach the gospel. We need to, there is a next level of teaching. Verse 7, but we speak the wisdom of God in a mystery, the hidden wisdom which God ordained before the ages of our glory. Now, let me um, parenthetical this word mystery. Okay, you can underline the word mystery there in verse 7. When you see this word in your New Testament, this concept, it's no longer a mystery. What this means is a mystery has been revealed. It was previously unknown and locked, but because of the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ, now the mystery is known. So, you, so Paul uses this concept multiple times. It's a biblical concept. I speak to you uh, a great mystery concerning Christ in the church, but nonetheless, that's, that's in Ephesians. Same idea. So when you see this idea or this word mystery, it's actually uh, something that has, was previously unable to be understood that now we can understand. And then he says in verse 8, which none of the rulers of this age knew, for had they known, they would not have crucified the Lord. So, so they missed it. And then um, in verse number 9, but as it is written, I has not seen nor ear heard, not have entered into the heart of man the things which God has prepared for those who love him. Let's quote out of Isaiah. And then in verse 10, but God has revealed them to us through his spirit. Thank you. For the spirit searches all things, yes, the deep things of the heart. So, so Paul's saying, listen, we don't just want to speak of wisdom and mystery that, that, that's been revealed, that, that hidden wisdom that these people didn't understand. If they understood it, they wouldn't have crucified Jesus. They would have caught it. They would have known from the Old Testament these things that, that are now revealed. And they didn't know them. They didn't know that Isaiah 53 was talking about Jesus. They didn't know that Psalm 22 was, was talking about Jesus and Messiah. And had they known, they wouldn't have crucified him. And then he says, um, good verse, number nine, one of my favorite verses. I've, I've been misquoting this verse my whole life, and I'm going to continue to do it today. Why change now? It says, I have not seen, nor ear heard, nor have entered the heart of man the things which God has prepared for those who love him. Now, not in this context, because the very next verse says, but yet he's revealed them today. But if you go back to Isaiah where this quote is from, you might be able to make it fit there. In John chapter 14, 
Jesus said, let not your hearts be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you. And where I go, I go to prepare a place for you that where I am, there you may be also. And Thomas said to him, Lord, we don't know where you're going, and how can we know the way? And Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes to the Father except through me. But in that, Jesus said, I'm going away to prepare a place for you. In my Father's house are many mansions. That's why when we talk about your place in heaven, it's always described as a mansion. Because Jesus said, although the biblical word that Jesus used for mansion, the the Greek word is actually dwelling place. We translate it mansion, which is good. But whether there are going to be real mansions in heaven or not, or a dwelling place, it's sixes. Regardless, Jesus is going to be, because your mansion may not need a bathroom. I don't know if we're going to have to go to the bathroom for all of eternity. I don't know. I think that as as a spirit, that's probably going to go away. Um, We're definitely going to need a kitchen because we're going to eat. Jesus ate after the resurrection. I don't know if we're going to sleep either, so I don't know how how well we'll need a bedroom. But the concept of a mansion is a, is a dwelling place that Jesus is preparing for you. And somebody said, if God prepared the earth and the world that we live in now in six literal days, and for the last 2,000 years he's been preparing heaven, what's it going to be like? Pretty fascinating, pretty fabulous. So I've always taken this verse, and, it, and just bear with me, it's a little out of context of 2 Corinthians chapter 2, because this, in this context it's not talking about heaven. But forget that it was in context or not, that's not relevant. No, I'm just kidding. That's very relevant when you study your Bible. But listen, I has not seen nor ear heard nor entered the heart of man the things which God has prepared for him. So it, as God, we know God has prepared heaven. And, I, and again, this talks about your imagination. How, how powerful do you think men's imagination is over the years? Well, how about Disney? How, how, how imaginative has Disney been? What about art? You guys ever see a beautiful piece of art? When I was in high school, there used to be these folders, peachy folders, and, and it, was a, it was a picture of paradise. And, and in the peachy folder cover, it, w- it would show like four moons, and, and then it would show like this like tropical island-looking place with a river running down the middle of it. And then the way you looked at it, you could see the, like all the fish and all this stuff, so you could see what was happening under the water, and then you could see this beautiful scene above the water, just this beautiful, imaginative picture of paradise. And, and, and men's imaginations are, um, if I could say so, they're pretty good. Like, we can come up with some pretty cool stuff, Hollywood, and the movies, and what men can imagine. And God's Word says that however great men's imaginations can grow, and however big they can be, that's nothing compared to what I have prepared for you. Pretty good thought. My pastor, I would never say this, but my pastor that I had before, he used to say that um, the greatest that men could come up with would be like a booger compared to heaven. I would never say that. I would never say like a big green hairy booger, never. Um, But that's the best that men could come. That's how it would look compared to what God has prepared for you. And that's pretty cool. Like, I don't know to imagine. Like, why even try, right? Because how could you imagine? Let me, let me, let me take a rabbit trail for a minute. You remember when Paul becomes a Christian, he's on the road to Damascus. And um, we always say he was knocked off his horse. I don't know why we say that. The Bible just says he was knocked down. When you read the narrative, there's no horse in the story. But um, Paul, Paul stopped, knocked to the ground. The great white light comes, and Jesus shows up, and he says, Paul, Paul, why are you persecuting me? Now, Paul was persecuting the church, so Jesus identifies himself with the church. That's you and I. Why are you persecuting me? And Paul says, who, who are you, Lord, that I might serve you? Now, later when Paul is, is talking about this 
um, this. And, and remember when he was in a city and he got stoned and he was left for dead. And Paul was, was they thought he was dead, but God, he might have been or maybe not. And Paul says, I know a man, whether in the body or out of the body, was caught up in the third heaven. The third heaven is where God is. Okay? Don't let some of your friends tell you that that's celestial, terrestrial, and celestial, or whatever. That's nonsense. That's not what that means. Okay? The three heavens are basically the, the sky that you see above you is a, it, or it is a heaven. The, the atmosphere where the stars are that you can't see, the galaxies, that's, that's a second level. And where God is is a third dimension. could be right here, but it's a third heaven or it's the, the actual physical spiritual place where God himself exists. And Paul says he went there. And while he was there in heaven, he says, the things that I, listen, this is what the Bible says, the things that I heard while I was there, it would be unlawful if I tried to, tried to explain them to you in human language. I, I, I can't even begin to do it justice. I wouldn't begin to do it justice. But everybody, when they quote this verse, they say, Paul says when he was caught up into the third heaven, the things that he saw, it would be unjust if he tried to describe them to you. But that's splitting hairs. And I always split that hair because it's a pet peeve of mine when I hear pastors say that. Because Paul never mentions what he saw with his eyes. No visual um, mention. Only what he heard. The things that I heard. Neither here nor there. But still, the point is that whatever was there was so fabulous that Paul wasn't willing to try to describe it. That's why when we see things like heaven is for real and people who say, oh, I went to heaven and this is what it was like. A lot of pastors are critical of those, those experiences because they say the Apostle Paul wouldn't even describe what he saw and heard while he was there. So why would you? But I, there's, a, there's a qualifier for me. Because Paul said that. But other places in the Bible, men do describe things. The, the whole book of Revelation, John describes scenes in heaven. He, he describes things that he saw. I always take those, those testimonies of I went to heaven and I came back. I always take them with a little grain of salt, but I'm not, I'm, I'm, I'm not of the opinion just to write them off because of what Paul said. Actually, that, there was one particular that I really liked, that one that was, um, I think it was called recently, um, the little boy who died, went to heaven. What was it called? Heaven is for real. That, that one, yeah, I just mentioned it. That kid's testimony was pretty legit, I think. Just my opinion. And again, I know a lot of guys that just would write that off, but and some of them you do. You know, there was one guy who, who was real famous because he wrote a book. He died in his car in a car accident. He was smashed, and he died. He wrote a book about it. He came out years later and said, I lied. I made all that stuff up to, to sell a book. None of it really happened. You know, and it was like, okay, you know. But again, what, how, what do we do when we hear things like that? What do, how do you test them to see if they're true or not? Like a couple weeks ago, remember I said uh, a pastor from Kentucky or Georgia um, gave, had a dream and a vision and he was prophesying and it was, it was going viral and everybody was hearing it. I had two different people send it to me and ask me what I thought about it and I shared a little bit of it with you guys. Again, how did I test that pastor's vision and dream? How do we test the testimony of somebody who says they went to heaven or not? With what? It's not hard, right? It has to line up with the word of God. That pastor who had a revelation about end times and God was revealing things to him, listen, God doesn't need to reveal through dreams things that he's already revealed through the Word of God. And, and if it's in the Word of God, then that's what's true. And, not, and if a vision contradicts it, then it's easy. Just write the vision off. Because the Word of God is the bond. The Word of God. You know, and again, I have, on, a, on a simple level, sometimes I have people 
talk to me about things. I have gals say, oh, Pastor Chris, uh, I, I met this guy and he's wonderful and, you know, we're, we're going to get married. And I say, but he's not a Christian. Oh, I know, but God told me it's okay. Well, I don't want to call you a liar to your face, but liar! No, um, like the word of God says, do not be unequally yoked together with non-believers. Like you can't contradict what, word, what God's word says. And then tell me differently. I, I, had a, I had a counseling appointment with a guy in a really sensitive situation, and he was very bitter um, with another family who happened to be in church. And we went through some scriptures with him. I spent lots of time with him. And, and basically I told him in no uncertain terms, as a believer in Jesus Christ, you forfeited your right to not forgive. And I don't care what this person has done for you. It wasn't worse than what they did to Jesus. And Jesus' last words on the cross were, Father, some of his last words on the cross were, Father, forgive them. For they know not what they do. And, and if Jesus forgave, he says you all have to forgive. And as a believer in Jesus Christ, you have to forgive these people. And I, and I shared this with him. And, and, and so he spent some time. It was a couple weeks. And, and I encouraged him to spend some time with the Lord. Let, and forgiveness is not easy, especially when someone's hurt you deeply. And I'm not making light of it. And, and, and there's a process. And I respect all that. But, but so I told him, take some time and get to this point and pray and talk to God. And he comes back two weeks later. And I said, you know, have you, have you been in the Word? Have you been talking to God? Is God beginning to, to work a healing in your life? And he said, Pastor Chris, God has really spoken to me. And I was like, so cool. I was like, what did he say? I don't know how these words can come out of somebody's mouth. He looked me right in the face. He said, God told me I don't have to forgive him. <laughs> Why did I wait six hours talking to you? <laughs> you know, like, like, no, God didn't say that. Because Why? Because God's word says something different. All right, rant over. I'm going to go on Facebook after church. Like some of you folks with my rants on there. No, I'm just kidding. Um, hey, we're almost done, you guys, and i got a couple of verses I want to finish. Um, where were we at? Ten. Sounds good. But God has revealed them to us through his spirit, for the spirit searches all things, yes, the deep things of God. For what man knows the things of man except the spirit of the man which is in him. Even so, no one knows the things of God except the Spirit of God. Now again, we get into this recurring theme, Spirit of God, Spirit of God, Spirit of God. The Spirit of God is personal. The Spirit of God has personality. The Spirit of God can be thwarted. He can be hurt. He can be quenched. He's, he's a third part in the Godhead of the Trinity. And then he says, um, Now we have received not the Spirit of the world, but the Spirit who is from God, that we might know the things that have freely been given to us by God. These things we also speak, not in words which man's wisdom teaches us, but the Holy Spirit, again, this recurring theme, the Holy Spirit teaches comparing spiritual things with spiritual things. But the natural man does not receive the things of the Spirit of God, for they are foolishness to him. Now, listen, you can't argue somebody into the kingdom of God. The Spirit of God has to move in their hearts and lives. I had a, um, somebody recently say, um, my husband, who's an atheist, um, would like to talk to you about some questions about evolution. And, you know, it's not really my strength, but um, as I was kind of nervous about going in, I said, yeah, I'd be happy to, you know, encourage them and meet with them. And, um, you know, because he has some questions about evolution and creation. And, you know, will you talk to him? And maybe you can help answer his questions better than I could. So I'm, I'm really nervous about it because I'm not a scientist. It's not really my strong point. And, and he was very scientific and, you know, could understand all those things. And so I'm, I'm seeking, I'm praying, I'm talking to God. I'm doing a little bit of research. I have some notes and some ideas of 
of, of what I want to talk about. And God's starting to download some things that are pretty cool, you know, conversation pieces. And, um, and, and I get to this, this, this topic, and basically it's this. Like, so I come back and I tell her, you know, if I go and I talk to him, here's the bottom line for you guys. If you have somebody that wants to argue or is intellectual, whether it's evolution or other things, ask them this question. If I answer all of your questions to your liking and, and sufficiently, would you become a believer in Jesus Christ? Would you become a follower of Jesus Christ? Would you surrender your heart? If, if all your questions were answered sufficiently, and if the answer is no, then you're wasting your time. You're casting pearls before swine. You can answer all the scientific questions in the world you want. Because listen, listen, this, it's not an intellectual problem. People not coming to Jesus, I've, I've, I've stood by this, I've preached this, this is a prove me wrong topic, like um, people don't have intellectual problems. You know, Paul said last week, in last week's sermon, not many wise. Now there's a few wise, but not many wise. And listen, if, if, if the gospel was just this intellectual package that, that the really smart could understand and unpack, then how come in society it's just not all the smartest people that are believers in Jesus Christ? Because if it was intellectual understanding that, that would just unpack the gospel, then, then, then we'd have all the smartest people becoming Christians. And if you can intellectually argue somebody into becoming a Christian, they can also be intellectually argued out of it. So, so again, this is what Paul's saying here. This is very relevant to this chapter, is that, you know, that it's the Spirit of God. It's the Spirit of God that moves on people's hearts. And yes, we should have. You know, the Bible says to be able to defend your faith. The Bible says to be able to give an answer to those who ask. We call it apologetics. But you, you know the problem, you guys, with, with sometimes with, even with myself, and even with some circles I'm in, with theology and, and deep theology? Who, who's, who's arguing back and forth over theological differences? It's believers arguing other believers. You don't see believers, and some, some settings, right? The evolution versus creation debate, right? Okay, but, but from nine times out of ten, we're, we're just fighting ourselves over theology and doctrine. And theology has a place. And knowing theology and knowing doctrine has a place. But, but we mess it up so many times that it just becomes who knows more or who's smarter. And Paul's talking about that. They said it's about the Spirit of God. It's about Jesus died and rose again on the third day. And so, um, almost done. And then he says, um, verse 14, But the natural man does not receive the things of the Spirit of God, for they are foolishness to him. Hey, let me ask a question. Does the natural man receive the things of God? No, they're foolishness to him. And nor can he know them, because they are spiritually discerned. Okay, what does that mean? They're spiritually discerned. The word discerned. To discern something means to understand. Listen, I want to draw your attention again to the last part of verse 14. Because they are spiritually discerned. It's not an intellectual problem. People don't have intellectual problems. Here's the bottom line. You know why evolution, and Satan used it greatly, and Satan inspired it, and it became the, the educational system of our world today, became the, the educational religion of our world today, of, of, from kindergarten through college, but um, state-sponsored religion is evolution. But why does evolution, even though it has no real scientific, it's terrible scientific, scientifically, but 
The reason is, is because if you can, if, if we evolve, it foregoes the, the hardest question that every one of us have to answer and, and the biggest thing that's facing every one of you. If Jesus died on a cross, he rose again the third day, if, that's, if that is fact, if God created you, Jesus died on the cross, rose again the third day, it begs the next question. Am I accountable to that God? Am I responsible to that God? And is there a chance he could send me to heaven or hell? How many of you guys want to go to sleep at night thinking, oh my gosh, I'm going to go to hell? Nobody. It's much easier just to begin to believe a lie that, that in evolution and that God it doesn't exist and now I'm not accountable to him. And that's why it gained so much traction. It was so powerful because it helps the human psyche sleep well at night because they believe a lie. Paul tells us in Romans that, that they, 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 for, they, they got rid of the truth and willingly believed a lie. Because you have to willingly believe this stuff. It's not, it's not science. But, and, then, and then Paul tells us here that, listen, the word of God and the things of God are spiritually discerned. That means the spirit of God working in your heart helps you understand. You know what people, what people who want to argue intellectually, they say, oh, if I could just understand this and this and this and this, I would believe. No, you wouldn't. But let me tell you something. If you believe first, then you'll understand this and this and this and this because that's the way it works. They're spiritually discerned. The issue is not um, intellect. The issue is dead and alive. Everybody say dead and alive. Dead and tell no tales. Isn't that how it goes? Here, let me tell you something else dead men don't do. Dead men don't read too well. Dead men don't understand theology. Dead men don't know what the Bible says. So the issue is dead and alive. Once you're alive in Jesus and your spirit is alive, then God's spirit working in and through you help you understand the things that you debated about and you previously wouldn't come, come to. Are you guys following that? Okay, I know it's late. I know your brains are cutting out because your butts are getting sore. But um, I want you to understand that concept. Let's have the worship team come up. Um, so listen, only when you surrender first will you begin to understand intellectual things because they're spiritually discerned. The issue is never a lack of intellectual understanding. And if you're in that case, the Bible says that without faith, it's impossible to do what? Without faith, it's impossible to please God. Listen, God requires... Sorry about your papers, Brian. Did you find the right one? Um, I had to say sorry before I let him stand behind me, you know. I didn't know what he was going to, you know. I'm just kidding. Um, so, where were we? Yeah, yeah, faith. So, so again, without faith, it's impossible to please God. So you have to place some faith. And I know people say, oh, well, yeah, yeah, that's easy for you to say. I just have to become a believer first, and then I'll begin to understand. Well, that's the way God laid it out. And I'm, I'm telling you, if you're in here today and intellectually you're struggling with some thoughts that are keeping you from becoming a Christian, you don't have an intellectual problem. You have a moral problem. You have a, a surrender problem. But if you will surrender your heart and life to Jesus Christ, I promise you that light bulbs will begin to come on in your life. Those same intellectual hangups you had before, God will begin to make them clear to you. Because the Word of God is spiritually discerned. And if you're not a believer in Christ, there's only two types of people. There's saints and there's ain'ts. There's people who are dead 
in their sins and trespasses, and there's people who are alive in Jesus. And you're in one of those two categories. You're either dead because you don't have, you're not born again and you don't have Jesus in your heart and life, or you're alive in Jesus. But if you're in that dead category, you're not going to understand things intellectually, Bible things, spiritual things. And, and if you're waiting to understand them intellectually, it'll never happen. You have to first put your faith in Jesus. Amen? Let's stand together. Thank you guys for that extra seven, eight minutes, Dan. <laughs> Love you guys. Appreciate your patience. Sometimes the sermons are long. You're welcome. No, I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. Let's pray together. Hey, Josh and Amber are going to be up front to pray for you. Um, if you'd like to ask Jesus Christ in your heart to be your personal Lord and Savior, I'm going to lead our church in a prayer right now as we do pretty much every Sunday. Um, if you say this prayer and you want to surrender your heart and life to Jesus, and maybe you're in that category and you need to ask Jesus in your heart and you want to get your life right, if you do pray this prayer for the first time, come up and let Amber and uh, Josh know. Just let them know, hey, I prayed that prayer. They're going to pray for you, encourage you a little bit, um, see if you need a Bible, those kind of things. Um, and then I'm always out in the, in the lobby as you leave. If you have any questions, I try to make myself as available as possible um, on your way out. I'd love to talk, talk with you, pray for you. Um, Kevin is Darlene, is, oh, I'm sorry, Darlene, is Kevin's not with you today? Okay, um, okay, you can come up too. We have some, some ladies that want prayer, you can come, um, for prayer. Um, so let's pray together as a church family. I'm going to ask everybody to pray out loud. If, if you pray this prayer and you mean it, it's just simply saying yes to Jesus. You surrender your heart and life today. You will not be dead. You will come alive today. You will be born again in, 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 in the spirit of Jesus Christ. This God's spirit will come inside of you. So let's pray together as a church family. Dear Lord Jesus, please forgive me of my sins. I surrender my will, surrender my heart. I surrender all of my life to you. Please come into my heart. Be my Lord and Savior. Forgive me of my sins. Fill me with your Holy Spirit. I confess with my mouth that Jesus died on a cross and rose again the third day. In Jesus' name, amen. God bless you guys. Have a wonderful week. Let's worship the Lord.